Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. Hey, Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Tommy. I'm doing well. How about this weather? Well, the problem with the weather is that somebody has not communicated that we would prefer this weather on Saturday and Sunday as opposed to Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Where do we file that complaint? Man, you've gone back to being the half-empty guy. Sorry. Sorry. Well, you know, my kids are cooped up the last two weekends, including spring game weekend. Nary a, a sun to be seen in the sky, and then boom, you roll back to the office on Monday, and, and there's not a cloud around. And I'm sorry, you're right, you're right, that is very half empty. To answer your question, the weather is terrific. I wish we could keep it and, and remember this in July, when then I'll be complaining that it's too sunny on Saturday and too hot on Saturdays. Or maybe late September, early October on a Saturday afternoon in Doak or whatever. Yeah, exactly right. All right, so coming up, uh, we'll be joined by Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Busy week for Florida State Athletics. With football in the rearview mirror, we can shift our attention to a lot of other sports, and we'll do that with Bob. All kinds of championships being contested this week, including women's tennis, men's golf, women's beach volleyball, which it's not technically an ACC championship. It's sort of a conglomeration of schools that uh, call themselves a conference for the purpose of competing for a championship. But anyway... And don't leave out soccer. No, soccer, number one seed in their tournament, even though they haven't officially played a match in 18 years or however long it's been. It feels like years. It was last fall. They're already conference champs, but the number one overall seed. We'll talk about that. We're also going to dip our toes into the NFL draft waters. Now, it's a little bit early because the draft is next week, but we're in – there's sort of information season for the draft, which is usually – Pro days and the combine, which, of course, we didn't have the combine in its normal sense this year. And then there's the misinformation days, Keith. And we'll ask our guest about it because I feel like the last two weeks leading up to the draft are definitely the misinformation days. Smoke screens all over the place. And and maybe missing information because I haven't heard anything about Marvin Wilson from anybody, negative, positive, or in between. Well, our guest is Charles Davis, who you guys know is an NFL analyst now with CBS, but he's been with Fox. He's been with NFL Network. Keith and I go way back with him when he was with it. Wasn't he? It was even prior to Sun Sports. It was when it was Sunshine Network, I think. Sunshine Network. That's right. Got to know Charles. Uh, If you've got kids, you know, he's the voice of Madden. That's how my son knows who Charles Davis is. Right. So anyway, we do this once a year. Usually it's around draft time because he's always involved in that. We look forward to catching up with with Charles later on. 
News yesterday, Keith, on the football front, we will start there. And on the one hand, this is insignificant news because you're not going to pull out your calendar and mark down the date that in 2024, Florida State is going to host Memphis or Charleston Southern. But the bigger layer to it, to me, is that thus completes all of Florida State's non-conference scheduling through the year 2029. So we've got 10 seasons on the books. Two-part question. Number one, we now know that Florida State is going to be playing 10 BCS uh, opponents. Well, maybe I said that wrong. Not FCS, but yeah. So we're going to, they're going to be playing 10 top dogs a year through 29. And then the second layer, I bring that up because you schedule so far out, which during COVID we thought maybe schools wouldn't do this. Maybe they could just call somebody on three weeks' notice and get a game, right? Remember right. we did that. But the TV contracts are going to come up in the mid-20s. And we still have this imbalance, if you will, where some conferences play nine games, others play, I mean, uh, nine conference games, others play eight. Some don't want to play 10 power five opponents. uh, Others do. And so Florida State has had the other dates locked in, but I'm just curious as we sit here right now, do you think those 10 years remain as is, or do you think tweaks might have to, to come based on where we land with TV changes? Well, two part. Number one, it depends uh, on how uh, hefty the buyouts are, because once you sign that contract, then uh, based on the contract itself, getting out of that contract could have a monetary uh, negative impact. And then secondly, if there are any continued, uh, and I say continued in light of what was attempted in the soccer or the football, as they call it in Europe, uh, over the weekend and into the early part of this week, if there's any conference realignment. And, of course, our listeners know that there's been this ongoing um, theme over the last three or four or five days. You know, what if college football had a super conference that was made up of arbitrary number 15 teams as opposed to four super conferences made up of 16 teams each, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Point being – it's really a crapshoot. Now, having said all that, I think also it's to Florida State's advantage to have all this taken care of because then you're making decisions from a position of knowledge as opposed to, oh, gosh, we've got two games we still have to schedule in 27, and it's already 2025, and they're telling us we can't schedule FCS. We have to schedule, you know, Power Five. What do we do? Let me like go- it. Let me go back and amend something I said, because I think I made a mess of, of all the uh, initials and the acronyms here. I think I might have even invoked uh, BCS, which is gone. What I couldn't get my head to is FBS, the bowl subdivision. So clarifying, clarifying, FSU will play 10, at least 10 FBS every year for the next 10 years. Not 10 Power 5, and if I said BCS, I apologize. There's just too many... I'm getting older, Keith. That's what it is. Like, it's all running together in my head now. You're hanging out too much with me. I'm rubbing off on you. Just like I can ruin somebody's golf game, I can ruin their memory. I guess what we have hinted at for years here is that there will be an adjustment, a course correction of some point in the mid-20s, and the conversations will start before that related to what does the CFP look like? Does it expand? And then in turn, conferences will say, okay, do we want to change how many league games we play? In the case of the ACC, I think they have to go back and say, do we really need divisions? I mean, it worked pretty well last year. 
Yeah, you can get it. You get a rematch game, but you still get the two best teams in the championship game. Now that would require an NCAA bylaw change. So all those trickle down things are going to have to happen. We're a couple years away from them happening. But uh, anyway, when you look at it, I guess the bigger takeaway in the in the world that we live in right now, the way college football is constructed, Florida State has has remained aggressive with its schedule. And you may not be impressed that Memphis and Charleston Southern are coming on in 24, but the reality is Florida State's non-conference is Florida is Florida and Notre Dame this year, and then it's Florida and LSU the next two years, and then Notre Dame and Florida are on it in 24, and then it's Florida and Alabama for two years, and then it's Florida and Georgia for two years, and then it's Florida and Notre Dame again. So it's a pretty ambitious schedule from here through 29. And if you'll reflect back on the conversations we were having five and seven years ago about the weakness or supposed perceived weakness of the schedule, that's what prompted the LSU and the Alabama and the Georgia scenario. And we said back then, be careful what you wish for, because when you're playing Florida plus somebody else of that magnitude every year, that nine-win season can become eight wins. That 10-win season can become nine wins through nobody's fault. You're just playing quality opponents as opposed to, you know, Marion uh, Military Institute and, and, and Citadel. No offense to the Citadel people. So those conversations will be ongoing in coming years. Back to the ACC eliminating divisions, I, I do think they'll seriously consider that and – getting the best two teams in the championship game is one byproduct. But another one is that you could solve the issue of only playing at Virginia once every 12 years and, you know, and only playing them twice every 12 years. You could, you could rotate other opponents through more frequently. If you just said, Hey, FSU is going to play Miami and Clemson every year. And other than that, the other six are just going to change. So you freshen up the schedule. Well, we got to remember too, to be fair, the reason that the divisions were put in place was to try to create rivalries, you know, so that those regular season games would be important from a rivalry standpoint. But with the creation of the playoff, all games are now important because a loss is a loss is a loss, and a win is a win is a win, regardless of whether you have a rivalry with that institution or not. Well, when they created it, Miami went in the Coastal and everybody said, oh, it'll just be Miami and FSU in the championship game every year. Remember those days when we thought that might happen, Keith? Oh, the number 14 comes to mind and I'm, I'm waiting to get another 14 as in the dynasty years if that ever happens again. Oh, let's move on from football. We will uh, get back when Bob joins us and, and we'll dive into all things Florida State. So I've, I've gone to a lot of baseball games this year. My son has enjoyed going. And so we went to two this weekend against B.C., now, Mike Martin Jr. warned us at the start of the year. He said, we're going to hit a lot of home runs and we're going to strike out a lot. And I don't know that he followed that up by saying, which means that some nights our offense is going to look good and some nights it's going to look terrible. But that more or less is what you can uh, extract from the first comment. And so now the season's playing out and this has indeed happened. Friday night, Florida State hits a couple of grand slams. They look great. Sunday, they get one home run. But basically, the, the theme that I've seen, and it's obvious when you look at the batting averages, Keith, other than a home run, if they're not getting a home run, they're leaving guys on base. If they even get them on base, they can't get a clutch hit to save their lives. And the most distressing thing for me is that the Sunday games, even if you're not a great offensive club, 
you would expect that Florida State would have a little more in the tank to win the Sunday game over BC, which they didn't, or over Wake Forest, which they didn't, or over Pitt, which they didn't. So that would be my biggest concern from what I've seen. If you pull out the, the lineup, though, you would look at it and say after the four spot, maybe after the three spot, I mean, it's just you're, 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 you you know, take a break for two innings until the top of the order comes back up. That's That's about what it's looked like. Well, that's when you go to the concession stand and go to the restroom and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, you're exactly right. And again, just to articulate what our listeners know, in theory, your number three pitcher is a fall off from your number one and your number two pitcher. Unless, of course, you're Florida or I guess Vanderbilt. I, the, I think their three starters are going to go in the top 10 of the draft, someone mentioned somewhere along the way. And therefore, your offense should be better on Sundays. Um, I don't. I don't know what to make of it. You're more of a baseball guy than even I am, um, but it is very pronounced. And I don't. I'm, a, I'm the typical um, uh, candidate against the incumbent politician. I can point out all the problems. I don't have any solutions. Well, I would suggest they're sitting at 18 and 14 right now. I, I do think that they're going to make the the postseason, given the history. I, I'm not as I'm not at the panic button stage there. I mentioned after the first week of the season, maybe beforehand, they're not going to win 40 games with the abbreviated schedule. And frankly, the 40 game thing, I know that'll be a big deal whenever that streak ends, Keith, but the number two team on that list is like at six consecutive 40 win seasons or something. I mean, to have it at 40 right now, it's not like all of America is doing this and oh, FSU stubbed its toe. So we just need to understand that one's going to go bye-bye at some point. Um, I do think that the pitching, though, very good and a lot of arms, it, it has let them down at times on Sundays and, and in some games. But I think they'll get it together. This I, I will say this. So this is exam week at the university. I spent a lot of time with baseball when I was calling the games with Lulu back in the day. And, and usually after the spring semester ends, you see a refocus. They have more time because school gets out that they can spend on the field in the cage. I think the 20 hour week uh, rule goes away. I might be wrong on that, but bottom line, they don't have the stress of as many classes. The weather warms up. Uh, This is a week without midweek games where they can spend time focusing on fundamentals. So I do think that you'll see Florida state with an uptick here, even though the schedule remains tough the rest of the way. And I think too, as is the case for all of us that are fans you know, we look at that Florida win and we look at that sweep over Miami and all the runs they scored and all the runs Miami didn't score. And the human nature is such, even though we know we're not supposed to focus in on that, we go, oh, there's what we can do. We'll do that the rest of the year. And you get a little overinflated in your expectation. Um, you know, it's, it's just, we hate to say it, but it's so true. It's just the way baseball is. I, mean, I was listening coming in this morning one of the uh, Major League Baseball teams opened the year 0-6, 0-7, and they've won 11 out of their last 12. I mean, that's, that's just baseball. Yeah, the good teams lose a third of their games, and it's more than that in the postseason, no question. Anyway, uh, just to tie up the football-baseball connection, I, I don't know that we do this all the time, uh, but we do bring it up from time to time when, when somebody's moving on. And uh, Jake File has been the, uh, the head athletic trainer for the Florida State football program for a number of years. But prior to that, uh, when I was doing radio for baseball, he traveled, he was handling baseball training. And anyway, right. he has uh, gotten a tremendous opportunity. He's going to go work for the Atlanta Falcons and serve in that capacity. I don't know the official title, trainer, sports medicine, whatever it is. He's going to the league and it's a great move for Jake, but I just want to wish him and his family well. Uh, there's been a lot of good people to come through FSU over the years and uh, Jake is one of them. And uh, good, good dude. Wish him the best. 
Now, I shouldn't say this, Tommy, because I didn't do my homework. You got to bail me out here. You got to bail me out. When we were doing games, particularly you on the football side, because you were outside, PK and I happened to be in a booth, although it normally didn't have heating or air. The Florida State equipment manager that went to the NFL, I, I cannot recall his name, but, but he, Jake always reminded me of him, a great guy at what he did and a great person in addition to it. You're talking about Dave Delegal. There you go. Right. Thank you, Dave. Yep, yep, double B, right. yep. We're getting into the weeds, but one of the one of the benefits are uh, uh, good parts of being involved with FSU athletics over the years. And there's a lot of them. There's been a lot of quality people to come through. Uh, and, you know, I'm remiss to not to not name the whole list that have moved on, but it's timely with Jake. So I wish him the best. And I do see Dave from time to time. Uh, maybe once a year I see him at an FSU game. Dave Delegal, he's still yep. around. So, OK, we'll take a break. We will have our uh, Osceola insider Bob Ferrante join us when we come back. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to our good friend and our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing great. We finally, we promised this in February and in March, and then after spring football ends. Well, it's it's gone now, right? So we can we can actually talk about some of the other things going on, although I do have some football questions, but we won't start there. I guess on the FSU athletics front, I just vented about baseball in the first segment, so maybe we should start there. And the the disclaimer that Mike Martin Jr. gave us before the season is we're going to hit a lot of home runs and we're going to strike out a lot, which when you hear that, you think, well, you know, I look forward to seeing a lot of home runs, but you don't really process the strikeouts. And then when you watch it unfold, you go, well, he did tell us this. And anyway, they're sitting at 18 and 14. What's your what's your takeaway on where they are right now as a as a team? I think they're fun to watch, oddly, even though they're 18 and 14 and they're wildly inconsistent in a lot of regards. You never quite know what you're going to see or get at the ballpark on any given night in in baseball. But, you know, with this team, do you get them at their best? Like when they're sweeping Miami and, and, you know, beating up Florida at home or when they're a little, you know, kind of scuffling where they are a little bit now and needing a guy like, like Matt Nelson and Robbie Martin are kind of, I don't want to say carrying them because you can't do that so much in baseball, but, but they're big bats. They're timely hitting with runners in scoring position it is really producing some runs where, where the lineup is, is trying to get by, you know, at times often by walking and, and Hey, when there's runners on base and, and you see Robbie Martin and Matt Nelson hitting them in it, it, it makes some good things happen, but they've had some fielding issues. Um, it, it's kind of, I think it's kind of taken away from, from starting pitching that's been, quite remarkable and even some really, really good bullpen performances too. Um, I, I think it just shows the inconsistency of the team and, and maybe, you know, to your point, the quality of starting pitching, the quality of pitching across the sport has been so good just because it was only a five round draft last year. And, and we're just seeing so many great arms in college baseball. 
Tommy brought up uh, the age-old thing in college baseball that as soon as the semester is over and we're in finals week at FSU and the kids can totally focus uh, and the weather gets warmer and all the other things that go into that, do you think we're going to see a little bit, if not a big amount of turnaround, or is this what we should expect as it muddles on down the track? I think the ball players will tell you they feel like they've become a professional all of a sudden because, you know, they're not in classes over the summer. They can kind of wake up and plan their day around when they're going to the ballpark, when they might have, you know, BP or, or team practice or whatnot. I, I think we've seen historically at times Florida State teams have played really well in late April and early May. Um, you know, we'll see. This team, I think what I like about it, You've got a guy like Parker Messick on Friday and a guy like Connor Grady who's going to battle you on Sunday. And you feel like you can win two out of three against almost anybody in the conference. The problem is you have a couple errors here and there and and things just kind of can go sideways and and you fight through that really good pitching. I I think what we're going to see is is a team that's just going to battle the rest of the way. I think they have to find themselves at the plate. Really, we're just seeing too many guys within the lineup who are under 200 as much as we can say it is the year of the pitcher it's tough to to kind of reconcile that that the 200 is is okay and it's just kind of where you are as a lineup I think that's why four states had to use you know Wyatt Crowell a a pitcher as a hitter you know Parker Messick at times was a DH they've had to be as creative as possible with the roster just to kind of get to this point um I think you feel better about this team, honestly, if they had, say, taken a second game up at Louisville, if they had figured out how to not commit the errors down in Gainesville and, and won another one there. You feel better if they're, say, 20 and 12, but the record is what it is. You're, you're just kind of, kind of in, in battle mode, I think. Yeah, the games I mentioned were the Sunday games because I've been at many of them. But, you know, if you take Sunday against Pitt, if you win the Sunday weight game, if you win the Sunday BC game, you got three more wins and you're feeling a lot, a lot better right now. Um, I, I mentioned to Keith, I'm not on the panic button for missing the tournament at this point, though. I mean, I, I think that I do think that they'll trend in the right direction. Let me ask you this. This is kind of a half empty and a half full. The, the half empty side is Reese Albert. So, yes, there's better pitching, but he has just not been the same since Baton Rouge that year. So is this physical issue lingering or is this just in his head now? And he just can't get out of it. Because if you'd have said before the year that he was going to hit below 200, it would have changed what we thought this team could be compared to if you said he's going to hit 270. No, I, I totally empathize with Reese because he's battled, you know, the shoulder was a long-term injury that he tried to fight through, then had to have surgery. He hit the wall, I think up at Virginia Tech, that was a, a, a concussion. And, and he's, he's fought through a lot of injuries, um, but it, it shows you his heart. I, I question, you know, do you want Robbie – I'm sorry, do you want Reese and, – and he has sat a little bit of late. Does sitting and watching and observing a ball game and, and just not feeling that pressure when you go to the ballpark each day of, you know, who am I going to see? How am I going to hit? Am I going to struggle? You, you can just watch the game and kind of sit back and support your teammates. And maybe that's a good thing. That's honestly what they did with Elijah Cabell. And he was striking out so much early in the year. He was really – struggling and they just kind of sat him down and I'm sure the conversation went a lot like this you know we love you you're in our plans we're not benching you but you just need a little bit of a break just to kind of recalibrate and I think within a baseball season that can be honestly very healthy because those are guys you want for the long haul when 
when the games are magnified and they, they often are in May and as you get into early June too. So then the, the schedule, schedule doesn't get any easier, but, but that's also a two-edged sword. That gives you an opportunity to play against some better teams and, and you know they're better, so therefore you're more, more focused. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's an uphill climb. I'm with Tommy. I, I think postseason is a, a, a real possibility, obviously, maybe a, a absolute. But uh, the record's not going to be as heavily cited to wins as maybe we're expecting or used to. Yeah, and I think the, the problems are, you know, Georgia Tech is obviously a good team, not in the top 25 right now. But, you know, we know, you know, they're, they're coached by James Ramsey, the, the hitting coach up there, a guy we're familiar with watching. Um, you know, they'll play Stetson in a midweek. Notre Dame is coached by Link Jarrett. They're a top 25 team and could be a regional host coming up. So it's, it's not been a soft schedule from start to finish. Even a team like Pitt, we were kind of scratching our heads at the sweep early in the year. Well, they're a top 25 team, a top 15 team, even in a lot of the polls. So it, it shows you, in effect, the ACC is really quite good top to bottom. I think the problem is you don't you have not positioned yourself from an RPI standpoint from, from a strength of consistency in your resume to be a regional host right now. And those bids are already in, plus the bids are going to be announced in the middle of May. And by the middle of May, will this team have shown enough consistency to secure that national bid? Or are you likely on the road at, say, an SEC school as a, as a number two seed? And I think right now it's, that's probably where you are. Well, they proved a couple of years ago that you can make it to Omaha without hosting. It's just something that typically it's, it's not so much that Florida State hasn't gone on the road and gotten there. It's just that we're used to them being home and they get there that way. Um, one last point. Matthew Nelson, he's having a year for the ages, and it got me thinking about it, Bob. I went and looked this up. So he's got 15 home runs right now. He's likely going to finish with the most home runs by a player since Buster had 28 in 2008. The highest total other than that is Mike McGee had 19 in 09, and I had forgotten how many home runs Mike hit. But this is not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, he's hitting a home run every other, other day. Jeff Ledbetter hit 23 in 1981, and that's number 10 on the – I wasn't going with the 44, the, the, which is number one. The 23 homers is 10th best in FSU history, and he might finish in that neighborhood where this is a top 10 se- season for uh, individual home run. It's just not something anybody saw coming, I don't think. Yeah, and these are with the newer bats, so to speak. You know, the, these aren't the – you know, the bats of the good old days, but, but yeah, he's going to have uh, potentially the, he'll be the first guy since Buster in 08 to hit 20 home runs. Um, he's hitting lefties incredibly well. I was asking about the splits and, and, and FSU baseball is nice to give me some, some numbers. Um, Matt's hitting lefties at a 342 clip, righties at a 315 clip runners in scoring position. He's 417. I mean, these are really, really impressive numbers that he's been able to put up and, and we knew he had some pop in the bat, but maybe not quite like this. And, and it just, I think, shows a, a year added strength and conditioning, a year of maturity. His plate approach is, is very professional. I'm not going to say he's going to be a major league catcher right now, but he's certainly trending in that regard. I think he's, he's a guy also where every at-bat, you're kind of on the edge of your seat because you're going, okay, well, if, if the pitcher – you know, got 2-0 on him. Well, you know, he's got to go with a little bit of a, a pitch over the middle, so to speak. And, and, and Matt typically crushes those. So he's been really fun to watch right now. 
What do we make of uh, kicking the ball around? That, that always puzzles me. I think I think when you saw five at Gainesville, it just it almost hurt. It, it, it almost just hurt to watch because you saw how good Carson Montgomery was pitching that night, and you said the way he pitched and the way the bullpen was going, you know, runs were going to be at a premium for both sides. That was a win that that really Florida State could have had. Why is it happening? I think the only thing you can point to is just within the moment, there's a, just a, a mental focus that there's some kind of lapse. Um, Mike Martin Jr. thinks that this week he's, he's been spending a lot of time on on the fundamentals, the the infield defense, uh, hitting, you know, tweaking some swings, maybe looking at the approach. So I think, you know, yes, it's an exam week and guys are focusing on, on that, but not having a midweek, not having to prepare and go through scouting reports. I think that can be good that you have a little bit of a, a mental reset so that then you can kind of go into that last, say, you know, month or so of the regular season. All right, let's change sports, Bob. The women's soccer team is the top overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Most bizarre thing because they, they played their season in the fall. They technically haven't played any games that are counting in the standings this spring, but they have played several games. It's not like they've not done anything since five months ago. I know Coach Krikorian – thinks this might be his best team I don't know if he'd say that publicly but I know he thinks very highly of it so what are your thoughts on their chances just given the disjointed nature of this and the bullseye on their back yeah it's been crazy to think about I mean we'll we'll probably never see anything like this again but they last played a game November 15th that was the ACCC tournament (laughs) title game and now you're going to play your first game May 1 in the NCAA tournament I think it's been a great luxury that they've played, you know, some professional teams like the Orlando pride. They played the Florida Gators in an exhibition that certainly helps get you kind of back through a spring training. Um, I think the way this tournament's set up it, you're going to have a relatively soft opening match because it's going to be a play in game. You're going to play the winner of that. You'll have some time to scout them. There's all kinds of different obstacles. Uh, you, you can't see common opponents. Um, you you you're going to have a, a bubble or at least a controlled environment. That's going to be totally different. You're going to be in the same hotel room for an extended period of time. Um, yeah, I think this is, even with without uh, Malia Berkeley, who signed with a French club, I think this is a loaded roster, fully capable of making another run of the College Cup. Um, he does like their mindset, their maturity, the way they've handled things. You know, this this long layoff, how they handled the offseason, all these exhibitions. So I I fully expect they'll be one of the top four teams yet again. Guys, this may be a stretch, uh, and usually if I'm flapping my lips, it is. But you talk about the bubble, and we've heard after the fact that Coach Hamilton and the basketball squad, you know, they kind of suffered through that. They didn't really appreciate how restrictive that was. See, I don't think that happens with Kukorian's group because these are international players, these are people that are used to, you know, being away from home. Uh, I just think they might be, from a temperament standpoint, a little better able to handle the off-the-field things. At least I hope so. And they've had the luxury of being able to talk to coaches. Like Krikorian said, he, he consulted with Brooke Wyckoff about their environment and I believe talked with some men's basketball staffers about how to handle things like strength and conditioning. And he's checked in with psychologists, too, just to kind of get – all these kind of details that you can to kind of prepare your players for what they're going to face. And that's, that's smart coaching, right? You know, you can talk to coaches outside of your sport, just gather what information you can to, 
to best prepare them. I think it's easier or better for them having understood what, what basketball players have gone through. That, that can only help you. The softball team is sitting at 31 and six and 19 and two in the league, which is remarkable. They just keep on keeping on women's golf team made it to the finals, uh, finished second in the ACC this past week at the championships. Men's golf team has a chance to win a championship this weekend. Comprehensively or meaning both the men and the women, this is probably the best tandem they've had that I can recall. I mean, they both have a legitimate chance to compete for a national title. Yeah, men's golf is is a little bit young, I guess, in, in some regards, because a, a top golfer like Jamie Lee is dealing with a back injury. But you've still got a, a really incredible one-two between John Pack and and the transfer Vincent Norman. They've got some freshmen who are, are completely stepping up and not golfing like freshmen. You know, Brett Roberts being one example. I think the men's team is young, but but probably deeper than when you look at the women's team. That's just um, kind of powered by Beatrice Wallen at the top. It, it's it's been it's been really remarkable to see these two golf programs play so well, and in, in a year where you know they've they've got a new golf course, Seminole Legacy, and then when things open up in June, they're going to be able to welcome you know high school golfers out and say, hey, you know, come to Tallahassee, play one of the best college golf courses out there, and, and this is why you want to come to Florida State. So it it kind of helps perpetuate that cycle of of the great golf programs here. And it's so close several times. Will, will beach volleyball might finally break through that ceiling? Yeah, it's tough. It, it, it's almost like, you know, Florida State has, has won the title of being the best team out East. And now you, you've just got to, you know, claim that success against the West coast teams. You know, will it happen? I, I think we'll kind of get a better picture of this weekend when they have the conference uh, tournament up in Alabama, but it's been it's been a very talented team. I think they've they've got a lot of depth, veteran players, and and we'll see how it plays out. But you know, unfortunately, it just seems to be force. It has to get the best for once of those great West Coast programs. Used to be that way in softball. Nobody east of the Mississippi ever won, and the and the power shifted in the sport. So it it can shift in beach volleyball too. Last question, Bob. The renderings of the football ops building made a lot of headlines the last week or two. I know Jerry had a, a tremendous article on the Osceola. I'd encourage our listeners to go read it. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the Osceola. The one question that's out there, the obvious one that hasn't been addressed, is the time frame. Do we have any idea on what realistically might happen with that? I, I think the best answer is as soon as some checks get written, and 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 literally, I think it needs to be more than just a pledge. It has to be money in-house. I think this is a good opportunity these next couple of months as Mike Norvell goes out on the road and does those camps with, with the younger kids, you know, those second through eighth graders, he can go out and meet with, with donors and boosters and, and they can, you know, fall in love with what coach Norvell is doing and the vision that, you know, David Coburn and Michael Alford have for, for the football ops building. It, it, it's there and it's visible now. When you see the renderings, you get excited about it and what they're trying to do. And so I think the time to, to gear up the fundraising even more is now that you can visually see it. To your question about breaking ground, I think we're at least one year away. I think it just, you need some amount of time to get money in-house before you can then say bond the rest of it and really truly fundraise um, and, and finish it out. Makes sense. Bob, thank you as always, sir. Take care.
Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, really pleased as we do once a year around this time, generally with the draft coming up to say hello to a, an old friend of ours and a good friend of ours as we keep the Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Charles Davis, national uh, commentator, broadcaster, uh, trying to keep up. You, you've got all the, you know, you've got every bullet accounted for on your resume, Charles. I mean, it was Sunshine and Sun Sports and Fox and NFL Network and CBS now, but how are you first and foremost? I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to be back with you guys. It's always a lot of fun. Reminds me of the fun days that we had way back when. But it really wasn't that long ago. And thanks for, for having me on each and every year and keeping that connection. I really uh, his career it. took off a little higher than ours, Tommy. <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, I got to be careful. Don't be Icarus. Right. And, and go too close to the sun. I can plummet down in a heartbeat, too. Charles, I'll tell you one story. I don't know if we revisited this, but you and I called an FSU Florida baseball game one time <laughs> and the power went out in the middle of the game. And so the public address system didn't work. And meanwhile, the animals for FSU, they just took it upon themselves to serve as the PA announcer. They handled it. Right. But for Florida, since it was the rival, they picked every Gator who's ever been in trouble, period. And they would just introduce now batting Vernon Maxwell, now batting Dwayne Shintz, like anybody who'd ever had any run in with anything. Uh, so, I don't know. You know, you've done a million broadcasts. That one may not stick out, but that one was pretty entertaining. Oh, no, 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 no. It brought back a memory. And I don't know if you if you, if you re- recall, I think they called out Andrew Moten's name. And, you know, I, you hate to do it, but Andrew had gotten in trouble. See, Andrew was at Florida when I was at Tennessee. And they came to play him and him and Mad Max, Vernon Maxwell. They came to play. And it wasn't long after that he got into some really bad trouble and trouble nowadays that you would never play again. But I don't know that he missed a start. <laughs> I mean, it was a different time frame. You know, I don't know that I don't know that the Norm Sloan decided that that rose to that level. Yeah. But those two, the Eminem boys, they were bad boys on and off the court at times. That's for sure. Well, anyway, one of the one of the good memories I have from back in the day. So let's. Let's talk draft a little bit, and I know that you're always plugged in, and uh, I actually, as I'm asking this, I don't even know what your role is going to be next week, but I know you'll have a role related to the draft. Here's the, here's the question from a Florida State fan's point of view, Charles, just putting it on the table. FSU defensively was not any good last year, mm-hmm. and yet I look and you see Asante Samuel Jr. and Marvin Wilson and the defensive ends who weren't productive at FSU and Hamza Nazaldine was hurt. And you look at it and you count them up and you say, are they really going to get five defensive guys drafted off of that team? I mean, that's the scratch your head question right now. There's a chance. There's definitely a chance. I would say, you know, how they would come off the board. You know, every, every team has its own flavor. We know that we always have surprises where guys jump up on a board. We're like, Whoa, we didn't have him going until, 
and a team takes them earlier, you know, that sort of a thing. And sometimes they hit it right. You know, Dwayne Brown, that big offensive tackle with the, now with the Seahawks who came out of Virginia tech, mm-hmm. he had like second and third round grades on it. And the year he came out, there's a huge run on offensive tackles at Houston. I, I don't remember if they, if they traded back into the first round Something weird happened, but right at the end of the first round, they picked Dwayne Brown. It was like, whoa, whoa, Dwayne Brown, second, third round pick. But the guy's been in a Pro Bowl, all pro left tackle most of his career. He goes to Seattle as one of the huge pieces from Houston is trying to get him back to the Super Bowl. So the idea of when they come off, it's all a conviction for the teams. Travis Frederick, who just retired with Dallas last year, is one of the great stories. Again, most people said when he, he Dallas took him in the first round. And most people say, well, they probably could have got him in the third. That was an all pro. Like Dallas had a conviction of this is the guy we want. So that's why I say this is what we expect. We don't know. But I would say Asante Samuel is a clear leader to come off the board first. I would say that it's going to be kind of a toss up between the safety, Najraldine, and and Marvin Wilson. And I kind of lean more towards Najraldine coming off the board before Wilson. And then after that, it'd be interesting to see what happens because Kane Doe and, 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 and Robinson, I think, are day three guys. And it'll be very – and when I say day three, and, and, you know, I always have to put that out there. Day three sounds like the worst thing that happens in the NFL. Oh, I'm a day three guy. Remember, round one now is only one – we only do one round the first night. We turn it like the Oscars. Day two is rounds two and three. Day three is rounds four through seven. So that's not horrible. If you go day three and you're going in the fourth round, that's pretty darn good in a seven round draft. But we may, you know, we say he's a day three guy. I think people's impression is, oh, he's at the end of the thing. That's not necessarily true. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see because there aren't a ton of pass rushers in this draft, guys. I'm talking about top level pass rushers. So because of that, Everyone has to have guys rush the passer. They may get themselves pushed up and get an opportunity. Hindsight is always 20-20. Fair statement to say that uh, Wilson probably wishes he came out last year instead of competing this year at the collegiate level? I think it's a fair statement, KJ. And, and, you know, you always hate to say that because I never downplay another year of education. (laughs) You know, another year in school – a chance to get better, not just on the field, but off the field. And, you know, the three of us could do a heck of a conversation about what college gave us that had nothing to do with, you know, our athletic and even academic careers. College taught us a lot on just how to live. And I think sometimes people forget that, right? I think we've seen it through our kids, you know, at a certain stage, if we, if we have kids old enough, uh, Tom, I'm not sure you've hit that stage yet. KJ and I have seen that kind of go through because we know we're we're older. Look at, <laughs> so, look at the grandbabies now, brother. Look at the grandbabies. Right? So, so those sort of things happen. But you're exactly right for play. I think he was – I think he had a higher grade coming out last year than he did this year. This year was not a great year for him in terms of how he was evaluated, how he was graded. And we all know he was a five-star guy, one of the top-level guys that you would see, a, a, a recruit that anyone in the country would have wanted to have. And I actually sat and talked with a pro scout about it last week and just asked him point blank, and he said exactly what you said. He had a higher grade before. It's not appreciably higher, but the impression of him was better in 2019 than it was in 2020. So now you're not even thinking about 
am I getting that guy that just wrecks offenses? You're thinking about a base guy. And where do you plug him in? That's kind of how he's being looked at at the moment. And can he get back to, and can you see him project to being a guy that can wreck some places? Because we always thought that's what was going to happen with him. How does it play in, Charles? Oh, by the way, you guys may be older, but I did start late, so I'll cut you a little slack on that. You're not. We, we appreciate that. Yeah, you you're know, not that much older. You, you had you had patience. <laughs> um, how does it play in that you know Marvin's position coach is Odell Hagens, who's put a lot of guys at that position in the league? Is that? I mean, I guess the answer is probably it depends on how truthful uh, scouts think Odell is and how he's selling his guys there. But it seems like it can't hurt. Doesn't hurt a bit, Tom. When you have a track record, it, it, it helps big time. But the thing to re, you know that that you alluded to is what is Coach Hagen's telling NFL scouts? You know, because they're going to ask every question under the book, and the basics are very simply going to be what kind of worker is he? You know, what happened? Why did you see it go from nineteen to twenty the way that it did? Do, did did COVID play into that in terms of thinking? Because each, each one of us was affected differently. I knew kids who wanted to play this year, and something happened in their family, and that's why they opted out. Some of them opted out to protect family members, you know. Some of them opted out because they thought their season wasn't going to happen. Big 10, Pac-12, you know, things of that nature. So they're going to ask every question going. And I think that Odell's reputation speaks for itself and these scouts know him pretty well. So he'll tell them what he needs to tell them. And he's not going to pull any punches when he doesn't have to, because his reputation's on the line as well. And he's built up quite an excellent one. We make a lot of development and we talk about the tail end of the Fisher era and the two years with, with Taggart. And, and obviously the, the Norvell book is still open but what is what's the NFL? What are the scouts saying about the kids that are coming out of Florida State over the last few years about how they've come from a high school senior to now being a junior or senior in college? How prepared are they? Well, prepared KJ, that that part has really not been the issue with them. I think for all of them, some of it is a confidence thing. This isn't the normal Florida State kid they're used to coming to get. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about swagger, which is one of the most overused words that we have going now, right? I'm talking about that confidence that comes from coming out of a program that competes in the top 10 nationally every year, competes for championships, used to winning games, going on the road and being someone. You guys know, unfortunately, and look, I'm a Tennessee guy. So all of us are sharing in that pain right now of our school having been what it was and what it's what it is right now and you talk about polar opposites because we're not used to going on the road and playing a big game and the game's over in the second quarter you know i'm not trying you know again i'm not denigrating we both know this all right my own school knows this this isn't this isn't news to anyone right we are used to going and competing Florida State going to Death Valley to compete was a big game, and it was a toss-up at best. A lot of times, Florida State was going like, we're going to kick right? Tennessee going to play Alabama. I've lost track of what the number is, you know? And I hate to fall back. When I was in school, we played Bama. We beat them four out of five. You know, who cares? But that's where we are. So I think that's what, 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 what the scouts are getting from these kids. It's not the normal I'm coming out. It's not so much as preparation. And remember, part of it is I had technique from this guy. I had technique from this guy. How many coaches have I been through? A couple of different systems. 
you know, some of that plays into it as well. It makes you a less confident player, but bigger than that, they're not used to going out and doing their thing and winning, you know, both, both sides of it. So it's a little bit different kid than you're getting with what we had before. We're talking with Charles Davis from CBS NFL analyst, uh, draft expert. Charles, if you were four and one against Bama, Keith wants to to, to point out that he was four and zero against the Gators. So I'll just put that on the table for everybody right now. But that's what we're talking about, yeah. right? Yeah, that rivalry game and us being involved in it. It's wonderful to have our records now, but you and I both know, Keith, if we go down to the Waffle House. And we're sitting with all the all the people who love the sport, and we start talking about our days. No one wants to talk about that now. They want to know what's going on with our team now and why we aren't winning these games. I hear that's you. What it is, hey, Tommy? Tommy, I got to tell you, he mentions the Waffle House, and that's a, that's a, has a backstory. You know why? You know why? a backstory. I walked into the Waffle House ten years ago at I ten and Mayhem Drive, and national broadcaster extraordinaire. Charles Davis is sitting in my daggum Waffle House with his son and his father going to play a, 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 a tournament game, I guess AAU, basketball AAU. tournament game, in Louisiana. And I'm, I mean, I have to do a double take, Tommy. I, have, I mean, this guy is famous, and he's it's in my, my Waffle House. He's it's, it's in my Waffle House. It's one of the great days. And by the way, this, how do you turn down Waffle House? You don't. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm I, see Waffle, I see Waffle House. I'd be across four lanes of traffic. Come on. I, I'm just glad to know that the NFL Network wasn't making you drive from Orlando to L.A. across I-10 for your studio <laughs> hits, Charles, because that would have got old pretty quick. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this, and we'll, we'll finish you up here in a couple of minutes. So uh, we talked about the defensive guys. Yeah. And, and you made the point about stock and, and coming back in the case of Marvin Wilson. What about Tamari and Terry, who, to me – was was a one-trick pony during his FSU career, and that was that was the nine route, you know. And I don't know that he ever moved beyond that in terms of perception. But but where is he going to fall? I, you know, we're talking again day three, and this is one of the times I'm thinking later. You know, I'm thinking I'm thinking on the tail end of day three or a prior or a free agent type of a guy. He can run. A lot of guys can run in that league, as as, as you guys know. That's part of part of the package. What else do you bring to the table? That's going to be the, the interesting thing. My quick contrast on that is a couple of years ago, there's a kid out of Stanford, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who was a jump ball, red zone, end zone type of a specialist. That's where he was emphasized. Good athlete, don't get me wrong. You can check his family background. Mom and dad, big-time basketball players. I think his dad and uncles both played for the Spanish Olympic team, the Olympic team in Spain. Had all of that, but he never was a great route runner. And somehow Philadelphia took him in the second round. And guess what they have? A guy who's a jump ball third half specialist, and he really never developed anything else. They got a kid coming out this year, Semi Fahoko, who I think is a better prospect, same dimensions, but he can actually run routes, catch the ball, do th- be creative after the catch, all of that. But he may go lower in the draft, but I think he'll be more productive. And that's what I'm talking about. What extras do you bring with it? And for Tamari and Terry, that's 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 the question mark for people. Now, people like pure speed, he may get that look. You know, you immediately go, Well, will the Raiders take him? I mean, that's the first thing that comes out comes out of your out of your head. But we'll just have to see how that goes. 
Seeing you not to see your thunder, uh, don't need to order because uh, I know you want to save that. But uh, the, the the first three quarterbacks in any order, first three quarterbacks that are taken. Yeah, I think it's you know it it is obviously Lawrence. I think Wilson's pretty well locked in at two guys with the Jets. We've tried to read the tea leaves and all the signs, and Mac Jones seems to be gaining momentum because of a Kyle Shanahan specific pick. But he would rank, I think, consensus behind Justin Fields and Trey Lance or Trey Lance, Justin Fields, depending on who you want to talk to. So that's how it's going to roll out. The surprise is that three, three San Francisco is going to tell us a lot because if they end up taking a different quarterback, if they take Fields or Lance at three, I don't think Mac Jones goes four to Atlanta, although Fields or Lance might. And now we're starting to figure out what spot does he go into? Is there someone else out there that wants him badly enough that they may move into the top 10 to get him? Does Carolina, even though they took Sam Darnold and as a free agent, do they decide to grab him at eight? Does Denver hold on and go, well, Mac Jones, nine, even though Drew Locke is a very similar type player? I, I don't know. He could very well be the guy that now starts that, and I hate the word slide, but he might not go where we've been talking about for the last three weeks just because of San Francisco. I think San Francisco and the interest in Mac Jones is a very specific deal. And if I were Mac Jones, besides ego and money, let's say that San Francisco doesn't take him at three. Let's say they take Fields or Lance. If I were him and you could take all the rest of them, put it aside. I know it's hard to do. We all want to go as high as we can. We all want more money. I get it. And I don't blame him, but I'm just saying to me, a perfect world. He sits and sits and sits. And he goes either to 24 to Pittsburgh to back up big Ben this year, or he goes 28 to new Orleans to get Sean Payton and get into that, that, that triangle with Jameis and, and, and Taysom Hill because they keep t- saying Taysom Hill, Steve Young, but they don't name him the starter. That tells me something, right? And 32 with Tampa Bay with Tommy Brady. And be well, and I would, I would mention being snubbed in the draft has served Tom Brady quite well. Still angry. <laughs> Still angry. The man, the man in the sixth round, number 199, all the quarterbacks before him. He's got seven Super Bowl trophies. And last month talked about still being ticked off about that and so many other slights. He and Michael Jordan can recite a slight as well as anyone you've seen. And if Baker Mayfield ever has this type of success, he will be next in line. Because I tease him all the time about the size of the chip on his shoulder. And, and, you know, I said, Beg, you've been keeping a hit list since when you were, what, six, seven? And he's like, oh, it's not so bad. And he, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just that, that, that's, what, that's what fuels and drives these guys and give them credit. Baker Mayfield ended up being the number one pick in the entire draft and went to school as a walk-on. Charles, we could do this all day, but we got to cut it short here right now. Thanks, as always. It's great to catch up. I appreciate it, you guys. So, so great to see you. Best to you and your families. Stay safe. And I can't wait till we can see each other with masks off in person, fully vaccinated. I've had my second shot, so I'm very excited and, and really looking forward to all of that. I'll provide the waffles. Yeah, I can't wait. I'll be to the same spot, KJ. I will be there and I'm buying. Charles Davis, our guest. More Front Row Knowles right after this.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we uh, went long with Charles Davis and could have gone longer, so we've just got a couple minutes to finish up. Not a nicer guy at the top uh, that I know in, in broadcasting. Super, super guy. We sort of buried the lead there, Keith, because I didn't do my homework in advance. Uh, I casually asked him in break there, as we said so long, so w- what are you doing for draft coverage this year? NFL Network stuff? He said, he said yeah, I'm going to be at the main desk all three days. So he's, he's gotten bumped up to the main desk on top of being the number two analyst for uh, CBS's crew with Ian Eagle. But, There's two uh, things, two consistent things about Charles. Number one, this year, last year, 28 years ago, he's the same nice guy. And secondly, every year he gets better. And he was real good 28 years ago. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But every year he gets better. You're right. So good to catch up on that. The draft is next week. He had some uh, honest takes there about where Florida State will fall. Keith, we can talk more about this next week, but in light of the defensive performance last year, when you start processing all those names that are going to get drafted, it, they don't connect. There is, um, yes, there is some uh, disjointedness there, but I would also remind you that uh, Wilson didn't play much. Uh, Dean was coming off of an injury. Uh, Asante didn't have an opportunity to make plays because they just said, we're going to ignore him and go to the other side. So there are some explanations. Some would say reasons or excuses, but there are some explanations as to why those guys as individuals are uh, judged better than that unit was judged collectively, in my opinion. The defensive ends will be the curious one because there was not a lot of productivity from either one of them in their time at FSU. But Charles pointed out, hey, defensive ends, there's not a lot of them in this draft. So that goes back to uh, one of the great axioms, Keith, that timing is everything. So maybe it'll be best for Kane Doe and Robinson that that's the way it worked out in terms of their draft year. And I would also say it, it, it has everything to do with do you get to the right team with the right fit, which is, is the same as timing. But someone like Tamari and Terry, and again, for the second time, let's see if you can bail me out, but the wide receiver from uh, – what's the wide receiver that ran down the boy that uh, intercepted the pass? He's big and he's fast, but he wasn't highly recruited and thought about coming out of, of college. You know, D.J. Metcalf. You know, if Tamari and Terry gets in the right place, he can put up numbers like that, you know, because he, he's got those physical abilities. Keith, I'm proud of you. You got to the name yourself. Well, it took a while. As, as I was told, our listeners have heard, I was in front of class. I lost my train of thought. Young lady raised her hand. Mr. Jones, I know what happened. Uh, well, please tell me. She said, the, uh, the hard drive is spinning, but the laser went out. Uh, that's, that could partially be on your tombstone, although I guess at that point the hard drive would have stopped spinning. Anyway, for now, it is still spinning, so we'll do the show again next week. Keith, good to catch up. Folks, thanks for listening. This is Front Row Knowles.